0: So, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Lorraine and I'm part of the preaching team here at Sutton Vineyard Church. I can never work out whether I should put them on or not. It doesn't really help sometimes. Um, so my um, role here is um, uh, I have uh, three children um, and I'm married to the wonderful Dave and in my day job uh, I am a teacher of religious studies and I think that's really where I'd like to start this morning. Because, you see, there I was, sitting in front of a panel of four grown-ups, barely feeling like a grown-up myself, and I was at an interview, and um, the head was there, the head teacher, um, and the head of Sixth form was also there, and it was actually the same person who'd been the head of Sixth One when I was at this school as well. And they said to me, um, so, Lorraine, what, why, why do you want this job? And I sat there and thought, I don't think I actually do. <laughs> So I was a really long pause and I said, I'm really sorry, I said, I don't think I actually do want this job. I think this is probably the most appropriate time for me to leave the interview process. <laughs> so I, they, they sort of looked at me and their eyebrows shot up and sort of sat back and, and they were obviously surprised. You see, I'd had a really nice time teaching Year 8 that morning and I'd been led round by some wonderful t- Year 12s. Um, but actually, I just couldn't shake the feeling that this wasn't right. And so they said to me, oh, okay, obviously very surprised. Um, So do you have another interview lined up? And I said, well, actually I do. You see, this was the Friday and I had a job interview on the Monday and I just felt at that moment that God was preparing me for something else. And so I left the building and on the Monday I went to uh, the school and I just knew the moment that I got there that it was absolutely what God had planned for me. And so he told me on the Friday to wait, and so I did. I obeyed, I waited, and then I'm still at the same school 15 years later. So this morning I've entitled our our sermon, Jesus, Who is Our First Love? Basically, I'm just going to talk to you about Jesus, which I think is a lovely way to spend the next half an hour. So let's just pray. Uh, No, actually, I'm going to read the Bible verses and then we'll pray. So, John chapter 18, verses 1 to 12. When he'd finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So, Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered I told you that I am he if you are looking for me then let these men go this happens so that the words spoken will be fulfilled I have not lost one of those you gave me then Simon Peter who had a sword drew it and struck the high priest's servant cutting off his right ear the servant's name was Malchus Jesus commanded Peter put your sword away shall I not drink the cup the father has given me Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. Lord, as we come to this passage this morning where you are arrested, may we just pause before you and I just pray that you would give us ears to hear and any and all the preparations that have gone into this morning, anything that is not from you would just fall away. And that you'd give us all listening ears to hear you, Jesus. To hear you whispering into our ear your words of love and affirmation. Your words of conviction, if that's what is needed. Lord Jesus, we just offer this time to you and ask you to speak to us now. Amen. So just a quick recap for some people who may have missed some of, the, um, uh, some of this series. We're in a series on John. Where have we come from? So in today's scene, we have Jesus who's walking and talking with the disciples. And they've left the place where they had the Passover meal together. And he's teaching them about what is to come. Um, and he's reassuring them that although they will be quite surprised by grief, this grief will turn to joy. We've seen already that Jesus prays not only for himself, but he prays for the disciples. He prays for all believers, and that includes us, of course. He's revealed his true identity as the Son of God, who is in the Father, who wants to make known to everybody. And so it's Thursday evening, and they go to the place of olive groves, uh, a place called the Kidron Valley, uh, where there is ancient tombs and. It's quite a familiar route for Jesus because it was on the way to Bethany where he often went uh, to see his friends because it was a place of rest and refuge. It was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew it was time. Emmanuel, God with us, had been in the world for 33 years. Three years of those were his public ministry. And it was God's great and beautiful love that was motivating everything. So what is this passage really saying? It's basically Jesus is arrested. But actually I think we can learn a huge amount about Jesus, who he is through the way that he submits in interaction with the soldiers. So today it's split into the sort of what is going on in the passage and then the so what. How do we apply this to our lives? So I'm going to talk about Jesus' authority. I'm going to talk about Jesus as God and Jesus as a man. And then as we round up, we'll finish off in terms of thinking about what does this mean for me today? About authenticity and obedience and acceptance. So first of all, Authority. Well, Jesus was someone with a lot of authority. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, "'Who is it you want?' "'Jesus of Nazareth,' they replied. "'I am he,' Jesus said. And when Jesus said, "'I am he,' they drew back and fell to the ground.' So, why, I wonder, did John decide to include the I am he reference a couple of times? Well, maybe he was trying to think back, uh, remind people to think back to the burning bush with Moses and God says, I am who I am, and the I am phrases. Or maybe similarly in Isaiah 43. But the soldiers fall to the ground, where obviously the answer is awesome. Maybe it had power in itself. Or Jesus had this intimidating effect on them and they all just fell over. But ultimately, Jesus is the one in complete control. He commanded authority. He was certain of who he was. Jesus knew that the plan that had been set in place was almost finished. He answered to Jesus of Nazareth. Remember Jesus as a baby lived in Egypt and then when Herod died, Joseph took his family back to Nazareth and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled with what was said through the prophets. He would be called a Nazarene. Jesus' identity is important. Jesus did what he did because he knew who he was, what he was called to do and he was in the centre of God's plan. And so, secondly, Jesus is fully God. Verse 11 Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So, Jesus is the Son. Well, first of all, let's look at the cup, and then we'll talk about the idea of the Father. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So what is this cup? So the cup is the portion that Jesus is given. Jesus is accepted, um, and it's his part, his role in the plan. Um, The cup is referenced a lot in the Old Testament, um, and often it comes with ideas of God's wrath. I can never say that word, wrath, and judgment. And it's really obvious from verse 11 that the Father's will must be done. Jesus has to drink the cup of suffering. And he accepts that he must drink it all the way to the bottom. Jesus doesn't expect to be rescued. When I was preparing for this, uh, Dave and I were watching um, the 20 year anniversary of Harry Potter, love Harry Potter. And um, it got me thinking, and I decided to watch the sixth film as well. Who needs an excuse? And it reminded me of when Dumbledore chooses to drink the potion um, all the way to the bottom. And it's really difficult, and it's really awful, but he knows that that is his role to play. He has to drink every last drop. You see, Jesus shared the Father's will. Jesus accepted his part in the rescue plan, Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. Jesus allowed it. That's why it happened. The whole of his existence, the whole, his, his whole experience had been perfect relationship with God the Father through the Holy Spirit we read in Colossians chapter 1. And of course we look back at Genesis and we see the Trinity at work in creation, the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons they experience perfect relationship with one another the father loves the son the son loves the spirit the spirit loves the father and so on it's how relationships should be jesus allows himself to be separated from the father for the first time and it's because of sin and our sin and our disobedience It's because of love, and I've got a big capital L in my notes. It's because of love that this eternal relationship broke. Remember, Jesus has said, I and the Father are one. This is the price broken love. It's super important to know that the cross was God's idea. It was always his intention to offer his only son. He was the only one who could take away the sin of the world. And Jesus was fully aware. He was willing. He was the perfect sacrifice. Through brokenness comes beauty. In October, I spoke in our series on James and said about on Good Good Friday, how Jesus, Jesus was broken on the cross and how God's heart was broken. Everything is measured by the cross and Jesus demonstrates the most extravagant love of all for you and for me. God allows the brokenness so that the beauty can break through There was a price that had to be paid for the sin. Remember, that's the whole cup of suffering because of the disobedience of humanity. Jesus' lifeblood is the new covenant. The old covenant with the original promises to Abraham and Moses and Noah and Adam, they were all broken. Jesus is the only one who can keep the promise and the only one who can truly offer freedom From sin. You see, Jesus pays the price for it all. He carries our burdens. And He was separated from the Father so that we don't have to be. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Perhaps if Jesus had more energy, he would have continued to recite from Psalm 22. But God allows his son to be the final sacrifice, to enable the gift of eternal life for us. Emmanuel, God with us, enabling us to know him and to be free. You see, Jesus fully empties himself of all his godlike abilities, all his divinity on the cross. Jesus assumed our likeness, it says in Philippians 2. That's how he fully saved us. And of course, it was the love of God for everything and everyone, which was overwhelming, motivating, pushing every single action. Jesus was alone for the first time. Jesus goes to the cross in the hope that we, he will rise. He goes to the cross in faith. He doesn't definitely know for sure. He is fully God, but at this moment, he is emptied of his divinity. He's disconnected with God the Father. It's not that the Father turns away, but it's that Jesus chose to be disconnected and alone for you and me. In Matthew 14:23, it won't be up there, but um, Jesus is alone when he goes to the mountainside to pray. But it's not that Jesus is lonely when he's praying at night time. We see that quite a lot in the scriptures because he knows that his Father is with him. But here, Jesus seems very much alone. The Messiah, the Saviour, bearing the weight of sin and death, because this is the rescue plan. This is the plan and God doesn't intervene from heaven. About a month or so ago, I had a picture in worship of me dancing, um, love dancing, um, and uh, it was, I was under this, this massive canopy of stars and I was joined by my family and there was no fear or anxiety. It was a really beautiful picture and it just, I was just reminded massively that I am never alone, even when things are super hard and really difficult. We are never alone, Jesus is always right by our side. And the only way this is possible is because of the cross. So Jesus is one with authority, Jesus is God, and Jesus is a man. Jesus is completely in charge of his own movements, and he freely laid down his life. Don't forget, this story is pretty horrific. He was tortured, he was abused, he was killed, and Jesus fully enters our humanity. He fully enters our existence. He really died and really experienced the consequences of the four forces of our sin, So what do we know um, about Jesus? Well, we've talked quite a lot about Jesus as a man. We know that he got hungry. We know that Jesus, when he met the Samaritan woman at the well, that he was asking her for a drink, so he was obviously thirsty. Um, He was tired, and needed a rest, and he was a funny guy. Sam, a few weeks ago, talked about how Jesus was quite funny, and you can see that through the scriptures. Um, He learned obedience like we must through suffering. And when the disciples were unfaithful, He was really disappointed. That's the worst feeling, isn't it, when you've disappointed someone you love? And when the city of Jerusalem was completely blind to their sin, Jesus wept. Perhaps he was a sensitive soul, like my husband. In the garden, we see that Jesus was in agony, he was in absolute agony. And you might notice through the scriptures that Jesus isn't always omniscient. That means he wasn't always knowing everything. And he was limited by his humanity. So, for example, when he's talking about the second coming, Jesus says, where are we? About that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, only the Father. So we can assume, perhaps, that he didn't know other stuff too. You see I really hate not knowing. I really hate not knowing. And I think that's one of the hardest things about COVID. Will I get COVID? Is my family going to get COVID? Are we going to get it at once? And when you've got COVID you look at the little strip and you think, "Oh, I just really want that faint little line to disappear so I can just get on with my life." But that's all about to change apparently. Anyway, watch the news. So Jesus was tempted like all humans, but he didn't sin. And he overcame temptation, not because he was God. I think when I was growing up as a young Christian, I always thought that Jesus was perfect because he was God. But actually, that's not the case. Jesus overcame temptation, not by relying on his divinity as God, but by his will, and obviously backed up by an extreme amount of prayer. (laughs) Jesus had to fully enter the risk of there being no God, just like we do in our faith. And some days are great, and other days you really can't see the light ahead. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, Psalm 119 verse 105 always reminds me of my dad. And it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And remember this lamp is like uh, just a little lamp that's angled just in front of your feet so you can't really see very far. And so that's in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. Paul talks about how we see through a glass darkly. And just like us, Jesus had to have faith that God would raise him from the dead. I think this is part of the agony of the feeling God forsaken was the risk that God wouldn't raise him. This is quite a big deal. Jesus had to have faith that God would raise him. He didn't go to the cross knowing that his destiny was secure. So what? Okay, fine, Lorraine, you've told me some wonderful things about Jesus, which is great. That's wonderful. So what do I do with that now? Well, Breathe. God has authority over all. Jesus has authority. Jesus is God. Jesus is a man. Right, tick. He chose to go to to death in faith. But God didn't intervene immediately. Jesus suffered as a human. He suffered spiritually. He was three days in hell, but Jesus was raised, and we can sing hallelujah. And this shows that we can trust him, He is authentic in what he says. I'd like also to talk about acceptance and submission the other way around. I just got my notes muddled up. So as we finish, I'd like to be a bit practical. I hope that's okay with you and figure out what Jesus is saying to us. So first of all, God sticks to his word. Jesus does what he says he's going to do, which is great. Verse 9 refers back to a very, very short time ago says, uh, "Jesus, as the bread of life, says, he, "He shall lose none of those that He has given me, but raise them up on the last day." We've referred to that already. bless you. And um, what does this last day mean? Well, C.S. Lewis, he's always great, isn't he, has something helpful to say here in his marvelous little book called "The Great Divorce." C.S. Lewis says, "Heaven is reality itself. All that is fully real and authentic is heavenly." He expounds on the authenticity of heaven. It's a place where we can be fully known, a place of reality, of fullness in relationship with God. Jesus teaches us to trust him through his behaviour. Now, I mentioned that I'm a secondary school teacher, um, and so uh, my year nines at school, who I see quite a lot, they can smell inauth- inauthenticity a mile off. i tell you what, it's really off-putting, they have no time for it. If you're not going to stand in front of them and say words which actually have meaning, then really just don't bother. If someone is truly genuine and authentic through and through, I've got a lot of time for that person. I think one of the hardest things about being a teacher is when you believe the best about a kid and they look you in the eye and then they lie to you. I find that really hard. It doesn't happen very often, but it, it, it makes me super sad when it does. The trust that you've built for so long with that student and nurtured... Is broken. Our daughter is at an age where she's realizing that I actually will do what I say I'm gonna do, um, and so when she goes to bed she says, oh mummy, stay with me, and I'll say, she's three by the way, four on Tuesday, very exciting, um, I'll say I'll come back in ten minutes. And when I do, she learns to trust me, and then you hope that the trust will turn into obedience. And that's the next point obedience. So, we are, do you know what? I have been reassured so many times in the last 15 years of um, God's plan for my life because of that job interview that I described to you at the beginning. It was like an ordinary moment, and it was a sunny Friday morning. I was in the head teacher's office, and God just quietly said, Just wait. And so I did in obedience, and it was so poignant. So many times over the years I've doubted, because as a teacher it's pretty tough, and I thought, is this really God what you want me to do? Should I be doing something else? And it was a no, Lorraine, you are in the place I want you to be. So is God speaking to you about something this morning maybe, or in the last week that's gone by? Is it time to listen and say, like Samuel, here I am, Lord, It can be really hard to hear sometimes, and I think that's what community's for, isn't it? Join a small group. And I said yes recently to um, the prophecy sessions, which I don't think have been mentioned this morning, but um, a braver friend than I, um, we have prophecy sessions at our church. If you're not sure, check the app, Becky. Uh, Becky likes the app. And um, if you have not heard of prophecy sessions, basically someone wonderful will, will pray for you and 20 minutes of your time. Um, so, our friend Braver Than Me said that she experienced this. She said yes before me. And she said it would rain. It was really strange. Well, it was lovely. There was some stuff which resonated with me, she said, and stuff, some, some stuff that made me cry, some stuff that didn't. But it felt like a really special 20 minutes. She obeyed before me. You see, we obey in faith. I like this idea of saying all the yeses to God, the little ones and the ultimate ones. It's all about choice, isn't it? And it isn't about you, but I get scared. Uh, I'm afraid of making the wrong decision. You see, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and I'm afraid of making mistakes, even though I teach about the growth mindset and all of that. But actually, when it comes to matters of the heart, it's really tricky, and we want to control the outcomes. Um, I've been pondering, I read a little book uh, recently, um, it'll come up hopefully on the screen, uh, by a lady called Susan Jeffers, um, and she talks about this no-lose decision-making model. It's been life-changing for me, really has. And the idea is that when you make a decision, both outcomes have opportunities for growth. Rather than it being a win-lose scenario, it's a win-win scenario. And it made me realise, do you know what, I don't actually have to be perfect. I can use what God has given me to make decisions, being hopeful and obedient in prayer, to Jesus. So I wonder if there's something where God is calling you to act this morning. Maybe there's a decision that you need to make. And how can you grow in God from the opportunities that your decision will bring? And then finally, this idea of acceptance. I think it comes down to this. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus takes the cup of suffering, of God's wrath and God's judgment, and he drinks it every last bit. You see, Jesus makes an exchange. He replaces this cup with the cup filled with his blood of eternal life. Back in November 2019, I had to look up the date. I did my first preach on John chapter 6. Thanks, it was a really hard passage. And it's this, I'll just remind you for those people who, who... Probably, maybe you were though, I don't know, maybe you weren't. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. You see, Jesus' listeners were good Jews. They knew that the life of a creature was in its blood. And we kind of lose that a little bit in our setting today. Jesus is saying that he gave his life in our stead, and we as his friends can drink his blood and have our eternal thirst quenched. You see, the cup is symbolic. An hour or so before, his disciples had drunk the cup. They'd said yes. It's their way of saying yes. It's our way of saying yes. It's a transference of suffering with the blessing of eternal life. And that's the choice you make when you come to communion. Our daughter has just started saying, yes, mummy when I ask her to do something, it's amazing. Yes, mummy. And I wonder if you will say yes. Back to my little book about fear. Um, Susan Jeffers says, the cure for our fear lies in saying yes. It's a good one. The cure for our fear lies in saying yes. And then I really like how Jill Webber puts it as well in her lovely book about prayer um, called Even the Sparrow. If you haven't read it and you'd like a good book about prayer, it's wonderful. Basically, yes. Yes to whatever God thinks I should do, because he's obviously smarter, wiser, and more creative than I am. I say yes with the intent to obey what I hear. But of course, friends, it's a yes to an upside-down kingdom of suffering, Jesus, in weakness, overcame the world. He drank the cup of suffering so that we could have eternal life. The cup of suffering given to you and me, full of the lifeblood of the one who was, is, and is to come. The one who is worthy of our worship. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Experiences, especially when we're scared and and we're afraid, actually can add value to who we are becoming. And we can think about what we can learn and gain from these experiences. Because the struggle is okay. And that's quite reassuring, isn't it? The struggle is okay. Jesus struggled with the cup. He said, Abba, Father. Father. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus took the cup and he drank every drop. He really wants to give you your cup, the one that he paid for as a gift. And this gift is eternal life and glory with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus is here. His power is here. The power of the Lord is here right now. Otherwise, I would not be standing here doing this most terrifying thing. He is knocking and he is asking, are you going to invite him in? Will you say all the yeses? He really wants to give you the cup and swap the suffering for his glory and eternal life with him. Do not be afraid. Please hear that this morning. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of the unknown or the fear of the what if. With Jesus by your side, you can handle it.